Hello, and welcome to Wooden Teeth, a podcast about truth-telling on politics and health. I'm your host, Jake Williams. As of November 2nd, 8.6 million acres have burned in wildfires here in the U.S. in 2020, mostly out west in states like California, Colorado, Oregon, and Washington. To put that number, 8.6 million acres, into perspective, a state with that much space would be the 41st largest state in the union. It's an area bigger than Maryland. Here in Colorado, our four largest wildfires in recorded history all occurred in the same year, which was this year. If you look at the top 21 largest wildfires in our state's history, they all occurred within the last 18 years. This, of course, is not a coincidence. Climate change is causing this rise, putting our safety, our air quality, and more at risk. Today on the pod, we are going to talk about what it's like on the front lines of these natural disasters with Dan Gibbs. He's a wildland firefighter who was deployed to these historic fires this year, and he also happens to be the executive director of Colorado's Department of Natural Resources. And he's also a former county commissioner and state legislator. The guy does it all. Let's get to my conversation with Dan Gibbs. Dan Gibbs, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So first, I, I just have to know, you know, what compelled you to become a wildland firefighter? I mean, it's hard enough being a firefighter like you see in an urban area, but wildland firefighters, you know, when they meet the calendars of the firefighters, like the sexy firefighters, like I don't think there's any wildland firefighters there, number one. Number two, it just seems like harder work having to you know, be in the spaces you're in and do the things you do. I'm not trying to bring down other firefighters, but I'm just curious what compels someone like you to want to do something like this? You know, um, maybe we should have a calendar for wildland firefighters <laughs> to start with. <laughs> um, but I, I first got involved, um, it, it was really when I was working on a policy level for, for then Congressman Mark Udall on forest health issues. Um, when uh, one of the redistricting occurred and his congressional district added Grand County, Summit County, uh, Gilpin and Clear Creek, um, he kind of inherited a large area within Grand and Summit of a lot of bark beetle killed trees. And um, and so I was working you know, on a policy level, uh, advising him on uh, what actions we could take uh, to help protect communities and how we could be proactive to, for looking at funding strategies um, to help communities. Cause we knew that there was, it was almost like a, a slow moving tsunami. When you look at the bark beetle epidemic, where it's just killing thousands and thousands and thousands and now millions and millions of acres of trees. And, and once these trees die, um, and the needles are still intact, um, you know, and if you do have a wildfire, they are extremely flammable. Um, and so I just knew that eventually in my home community of Summit County, after working on policies, um, that we were eventually going to have some large scale wildfires and that I was young and, and maybe foolish enough <laughs> to, um, 
to go through the Colorado Wildland Fire and Incident Management Academy that was that's down based in the Alamosa area um, for about a week to get my what's called red card certification. So you have to take the class S-130-190 that gives you the credentials to fight wildfires anywhere in the country um, on federal lands. So it was really out of concerns out of, you know, future wildfires in my community that I thought, you know, hey, if something happens, I want to be able to get out there and help out if possible. And how often have you been out there fighting these fires? You know, it, it just depends on the year. Uh, this year, I was out on two of the pretty large fires. You know, I was out on the Grizzly Creek fire that was in the Glenwood Springs area. And then I was also out, um, you know, on the Cameron Peak Peak fire that was actually still is our, our, our largest, you know, wildfire in Colorado history of over 200,000 acres. But um, in the past, you know, um, I try to get out, you know, at least one time a year if possible. So, and I was originally certified back in 2007. So, um, so yeah, and I've, I've been deployed. Um, I'm on the both uh, federal and state call-up system. So the federal system is, is, is the system is called ROS. It stands for resource ordering status system. So I'm in the federal call-up um on, on fires around the country. I'm also on the state call-up system called Web EOC. And um, so depending on where the fires are at, um, I could be called up. Um, I don't necessarily have to go. I can I can let them know when I'm available to go. And, and normally when you're go, going out on a wildland fire, you're, you're called up to go for 14 days. You know, I'm the head of the Department of Natural Resources right now. And and, and, you know, before when I was a legislator, I actually had a little more flexibility to go for, you know, 14 day assignments. Um, but now it's my assignments have been about a week, um, but I still feel like I can make a difference. But it's just, you know, extremely hard to commit, you know, two week time right now for, for wildfires. From an outsider's perspective, it seems that these fires, these wildland fires are kind of chaotic and unpredictable and I've, I found myself wondering, especially with these most recent fires in, in Cameron Peak and up in uh, Estes Park and around Rocky Mountain National Park, um, what is command and control like on the ground? Um, you know, you're out in an open space, you don't have the same infrastructure that you have in an urban area. How do you tell, you know, how, how do you coordinate the left hand with the right hand? Well, as, as, as I think most people know that are listening that have experienced the, the wildfire season, you know, first of all, um, you, you've experienced, depending on where you live, that wildfires bring in a lot of smoke, obviously. So the, the, the breathing is challenging, but, but just visually, um, it, it turns, you, it could be 1 p.m. in the middle of the day, and it looks like it's, you know, 6 or 7 p.m. It looks like it's dark. So, uh, because the smoke is so dense, so making sure that um, you you follow what's called LCES. So every wildland firefighter, like on my firefighter helmet, um, on the inside of my little brim, has a sticker that says LCES. It stands for lookouts, uh, communications, escape routes, and safety. So wildland firefighters are constantly thinking about. You know, where's the lookout? Where, where, where could that snag? Where could that tree be coming down by you? Um, 
um, where where um, a, a particular spot fire could be right below you that you don't even see because you know fighting fires in Colorado obviously is very mountainous and and in some situations very steep gullies that you know with with the wind moving you know, fire can just come up on you so quickly and so making sure that people are are helping you out on a team on on lookouts communication we all have um radio transceivers with us so we are communicating we all know uh, where everyone is at you know escape routes um you know that's that's the tricky part because sometimes you could be doing um fighting you know direct attack on a fire and um and and your escape route is getting down a particular driveway because you're working to save a house uh, but then, you know, because of snags and the wind, you know, you could easily have trees that come down, you know, that that prevent you from getting the the, the fire truck or the pickup truck out because um, it's blocking the way on the road. So you always need to be aware of escape routes and alternative escape routes if if need be. Um, and then overall, just safety, you know, S is basic safety. So. We you always look out for one another. Um, you're normally working in pretty small teams, depending on what role you're on on a fire. Uh, my on the Cameron Peak fire, I was on an initial attack team, so I was part of a um, it was a ten person fire module team. But just within my little ten person group, um, I was I was working actively with three or four other people. And, and so everyone had an assignment. We, we would roll up uh, potentially in a type six engine, um, do a scouting to really look at what the situational awareness is, you know, where the wind is coming from, size up the fire, um, look for escape routes, look for any, if there could be any communication issues and then figure out a plan. Are we going to direct attack on that fire? Are we going to start digging fire line just like a foot away from the fire? Or are we going, are we going to have enough, water resources where we start spraying, um, you know, a house to try to add some moisture so the flames don't jump to the house. Are there, are there any, um, propane tanks that, that could be around, um, the Cameron peak fire, you know, we were working to save a house and all of a sudden we heard a huge kaboom and it was the neighbor's house that, um, had a propane tank that, you know, exploded. It, it sounded like, you know, like 4th of July of like one of the huge, you know, like it shook your soul, you know, um, that's very unsettling to say the least. Um, and okay, how, did I answer your question on that? You did, you did. I mean, I still don't want to do it by the way, but uh, yeah, you, you answered my question. And I'm wondering also how you deal with smoke inhalation because <clears throat> where I live, I'm many miles from these fires, but um the, the smoke, you know, spreads to communities far and wide, as you already know, and I could feel it in my lungs. I had a slight sore throat, you know, itchy th throat. And um, I'm just wondering on the front lines, do you have gear that helps deal with that? How do you, how do you keep working in that sort of condition? Yeah, it's, you, you get used to it and it's, it's just smoky all the time, frankly. And what I normally do is I, I have a bandana around my neck and, and sometimes I wetten that up a little bit and, and, and kind of use that just to help prevent some of the smoke from getting into, into my lungs. But, but yeah, it's, um, you know, when I'm on the front range and, and folks are upset about how smoky it is, 
uh, when you're on the front lines of a fire, it is literally a hundred times worse. And so most of the firefighters that are out there on the fire line uh, tend to be much younger than me. <laughs> they tend to be in their early twenties and um, you know, they're, they're quite fit for sure. Um, but you know, it's, you just have to be aware of it, you know, and um, try not to breathe in too much smoke, you know, honestly, but with the winds kicking for the Cameron peak fire, I was with some experienced uh, folks that were um, that normally work within a hotshot crew that were actually seasoned out because of the seasonality of, of firefighting. Um, a lot of our top professionals work on contracts from um, from like May through early September, and then they're done. That's actually a big problem we have in the state of Colorado and and throughout the United States. The seasonality is there's there's no longer seasons. You know when you look at climate change and and just the, the frequency of these fires. But um, yeah, going back to, to air quality, it's just, it, it is tough. You don't, you don't carry around the air apparatus that you do for a lot of structure firefighters. You don't have that in wildland fires. You, you're, you're lucky if you fuse a bandana, you get used to the smoke. Um, sometimes if it gets really bad, you just have to like get away from the fire just a little bit, just to kind of catch up. But when you're doing direct attack on a fire, you're, you're literally digging fire line, just, just a foot away from active flames. And, um, and that's challenging, but that's part of the job. I believe this was here in Colorado, our worst wildland fire season ever. I think we saw the, the largest fire in, in Colorado history take place. I'm wondering, you've been doing this for years. Uh, is there something different on a ground level as a firefighter you're seeing when fighting these fires versus other fires you've fought in the past? You know, we're seeing fire season just be almost all year round. Like I, I remember fighting the old stage fire in, in Boulder County that was in January. I, I think it's likely we have wildfires in January this year. Um, the most indicators reflect that it's going to be a drier and warmer, you know, year this year. And we've seen that be reflective in what we have in Colorado right now, where 77% of the state is in what's called the D3 or D4 levels of extreme drought. Um, we're seeing temperatures that are warmer on average than the 1930s Dust Bowl era. Um, we, we see fires, um, you know, um, much, much larger, the, the, the 20, out of the 20 largest fires that we've ever had in Colorado history have occurred over the last 20 years. Um, and just this year alone, the largest um, three fires have occurred, you know, they're going on right now, frankly, <laughs> you know, they're, they're um, on the way to um, being contained, but um, we have a very serious forest health challenge in Colorado. We have a lot of dead trees and, um, that really adds the com complexity of fighting fires. I I really worry that a lot of um, folks just, w w people really need to focus on defensible space if they live within the wildland urban interface. We have a lot of, especially in the high country, a lot of second homeowners that that just go to their house for a year or two, excuse me, uh, you know, for a week or two out of the year. And, 
you know, and, and they're not, you know, proactive and taking away the dead trees around their house and stuff. But, you know, when, when you do have a fire, you're really putting the lives of firefighters at risk. Um, you know, we're, we're careful, um, but we do work really hard to try to save human life. We work hard to save property and critical infrastructure. Um, so the, when I look at this fire season, you know, Cameron Peak especially, you have, you know, density of forest, forests that really have not been uh, thinned in many years, forests where we have not had large-scale wildfires in many years. And, um, and then on top of that, you, you add 50 to 60 mile an hour winds uh, and COVID-19. And so COVID-19 puts a whole nother dynamic in terms of firefighting because we're working in these small little pods. We're, we're not sharing information with what another division is doing on another side of the fire. So you're in your own little world and, and you have, um, you know, meals ready to eat and you don't have like a mess tent with, with food and stuff. You're, you're pretty much self-sufficient for the time that you're out there. These fires are obviously being um, accelerated by climate change. And I think most people are familiar with what we need to do to fight climate change in terms of reducing or eliminating uh, carbon emissions. But uh, what about, at a, from a policy perspective, what are our options to mitigate the danger that is, that is being presented by climate change? Well, first of all, climate change is real. And I think um, there's no doubt about that. And, and so I, I see that there are steps that, that we should take that are long-term, but there are immediate steps that we should take as well. Uh, for example, the governor recently released his greenhouse gas pollution reduction roadmap, which calls for uh, reducing greenhouse gas pollution uh, by 26% by 2025 and 50% by uh, 2030 which is you know, very ambitious. But when I look at the Department of Natural Resources as a totality, I think that we need to look at and plan with climate change with everything that we do. So for example, when we're working on updating the Colorado Water Plan within Water Conservation Board, we just recently uh, released what's called the technical update of the Colorado Water Plan. And we use climate change modeling in that to reflect that especially with Colorado River, um, that we are likely going to see you know less water in the river, which is going to impact the state of Colorado, but it also impacts all the seven states that depend on Colorado River water. Um, I also think it's really important too. You know, the the state of Colorado is also um, involved in what's called the U.S. Climate Alliance uh, Natural and Working Lands Group. And so we are currently working on, on an exercise to really do a, a detailed inventory of all lands in Colorado, whether it's, you know, federal, state, private, um, really do a deep, you know, inventory. Um, and, and that will help us, you know, measure, um, you know, what we have in terms of possible, you know, if you have a, a major wildfire, what, what type of carbons are released, you know, within the landscape. But, you know, we're only able to, to manage what, what we can measure. And, and so if we, you know, if, if we can't measure 
um, what the landscape looks like in terms of these, you know, natural working lands, it's going to be hard for us to, to measure um, what, what the carbon is, you know, working forward. These wildfires obviously aren't limited to where we're at here in Colorado, but we've seen them you know, throughout the West, including in California. And um, President Trump made a visit out there um, earlier this year and, it, you know, urged them to do something, uh, I believe the term was raking the forest. Uh, what What's up with that? And what, um, is that an effective <laughs> technique? I've... I, the only time I've ever heard of the term raking the forest was was by President Trump. So that is not a term that that in the wildland firefighter world that I think is anyone has ever used. But what I think he's getting to is that we need to um, clean up debris, uh, maybe maybe proactive management of our forests. And um you know, I, I personally believe that that we need to use our community wildfire protection plans in place, that all the communities in the state of Colorado that are susceptible to wildfire or grassland fires are required to develop a community wildfire protection plan. And within these, the, the short acronym is CWPPs, they have focus areas. And I really think as a state, we really need to look at those focus areas of communities because you know, not every acre is equal. You look at the Cameron Peak fire or you look at the East Troublesome fire, you know, both of those are, you know, uh, one is approaching 200,000 acres and the other is over 200,000 acres. But when you think about the land that that area, you know, covered for the fire, I could almost guarantee you that there's only about 10% of those fires that really mean a lot to people. And, and those are those areas that mean a lot to people are, you know, where your house is or where that critical reservoir is that you depend on water or where that critical power line, you know, for infrastructure. Like we have WAPA, the Western Area Power Authority. They have their power lines that go through Summit County. You know, if we had a major fire that ripped through on the, um, on the uh, south side of um, I-70, after you head through Eisenhower Johnson Tunnel, you know that would have a big impact on, on the western part of of the state of Colorado. So, um, you know, we I, I think we do need to have a targeted approach to really look at proactive management of, of our uh, forests that we have. There was a, a recent analysis um, made by the Colorado State Forest Service that reflected that there's four billion dollars of need. Uh, throughout the state of Colorado on uh, dealing with the backlog of um, proactive, you know, thinning um, that needs to occur in Colorado. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of com complexities. We have um, areas in Colorado that um, are just, you know, whether it's wilderness or roadless, it, you just, it, it's just a real challenge for any, you know, thinning to occur. And that's why I think most Coloradans would agree that we should focus on these areas where people live first. Um, you mentioned uh, beetle kill earlier, and I feel like this got uh, more attention a few years back when, when it all first started. Um, I, I'm wondering, uh, first, it would be helpful for everybody if you just summarize what, you know, what that is. And is there anything that we can do to uh, stem the growth of, of, of beetle kill in forests? And or or at least mitigate um, beetle kill from being an, an accelerant for fires. 
you know, beetle kill, um, first of all, beetles are natural in our ecosystem, but we've seen, we've seen a, definitely an uptick in, in activity throughout, throughout the years. And, you know, it's, it's mostly as a result of, um, I'd say climate change is a huge part of that where, you know, winters used to be much cooler and the beetles would actually, you know, die. Um, and now they just stay alive, you know, when they're, when they're burrowed in. And, um, so there are mitigation steps that you can take, uh, for example, pheromone packs that, that some homeowners, uh, put on the trees that actually send, um, like a signal to the beetles to not hit that tree. Um, and, and beetles fly normally in the summer and that's when they really, you know, attack trees. But if, if trees were healthier, uh, they would be able to withstand uh, the attack of beetles. And, and right now, in some situations in Colorado, we have about 50,000 stems per acre of, for example, lodgepole trees, lodgepole pine trees, where, um, you know, that's, that's definitely a, a very uh, dense uh, tree stand, to say the least. And um, it would be more healthy to, to poke some holes, frankly, in that in that area to not have it be so dense. So when, when trees are already stressed and we already have, you know, this historic drought and the trees are trying to get every bit of, of water they can. Um, and you have, you know, the dense of the forest and then you have beetles on top of it. Um, they're weak. And, and so many of the trees are, are dying. So the, the bark beetle epidemic that we had that really hit Grand County and Summit County um, and just hit, you know, hundreds of thousands of acres of trees. Um, many of the food source, frankly, of the trees have, have died. And, and so the beetles have kind of moved more up towards Larimer County. And we have multiple species of beetles too. You know, there's the, the, the mountain pine beetle, there's a spruce beetle. And so not every pine beetle is the same. But um, a few years ago, the, the numbers were um, staggering to see you know, hundreds of thousands of acres of new beetle kill hit, you know, a year. And, and, and the state forest service would do aerial surveys, you know, every year of the landscape. And you could really tell that the landscape that was hit by the beetles by, you know, it, it takes about a year or two for, for the green needles to start turning red. And so you could clearly see, you know, from the aerial surveys of, of the amount of landscape that the beetles were, were hitting. And so it's a little bit less activity now in Summit and Eagle. And, and again, now it's more up in kind of Larimer County area. But, but having, you know, proactive thinning um, is definitely a positive step in creating a, a healthier uh, forest landscape. And then finally, I'm wondering, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you have a, do you have a favorite story from uh, your time uh, serving as a wildland firefighter? Well, I have a couple, but, um, you know, I, I, I was uh, deployed once in to California and, and I thought that was really unique where I was with a, with two other firefighters from Summit County and we drove a type four, what's called water tender, um, fire truck all the way to, to an area outside the city of Irving. California, outside of Los Angeles, more or less. And this was in 2000, I want to say seven, when you had, 
you know, there are at least 12 other major fires going on in California. And so to, to be, to, to be able to like head out there and help out, um, but also just to see how large of the infrastructure that California had for firefighting, they have a system called Cal fire. And I remember like getting to what's called the ICP, the incident command post. And that's kind of where you check in. Um, I had never seen, you know, so many fire trucks, you know, ever. And so it was just amazing to be a part of such a big system where firefighters are coming from, you know, Colorado, from, we even saw firefighters from the East coast that drove to California uh, to help out with a fire. So that was really my first experience recognizing that in wildland firefighting, um, people come from all over the country, sometimes from California. And it's not just your local firefighting crew that are working. It's, 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 um, a brother and sisterhood, if you will, you know, everyone's in it together. We're all working to, to protect communities. And and we've seen that in Colorado, you know, for all the, the major fires we have here. Um, you know, there are people from all over the country that are working their tails off to, to protect your home, uh, protect your life, um, protect your watersheds, protect your community. Um, but on the firefighting side, on, on the Cameron Peak fire, you know, being a part of this uh, initial attack crew was something else, you know, because, you know, instead of uh, in the past, sometimes I was part of doing like structure protection where I may be part of like being in a large, you know, type one engine where you're in a neighborhood and you're waiting for the fire to come to the neighborhood potentially. And that fire may or may not get there. You know, it may shift gears because of wind patterns or whatever. Um, but for this, uh, the wind was was kicking like you know what <laughs> with the Cameron Peak fire, and there was just spotting all over the place, and so we were working 16-hour days. We were on the fire, you know, 6 a.m. off the fire, 10 p.m., and um, you know during the day wherever there was fire activity, we would size it up. We'd figure out what the, the the best path to to deal with that situation was, whether it was direct attack on the fire or indirect uh, fire line, or we were calling in for air resources, whether it was a bucket drop by a helicopter or, you know, the VLAT, the very large air tankers, if we could get it to come through. And um, it was just nonstop. And um, and then, you know, doing, you know, active fire kind of uh, work all around um, houses that, you know, the fire was literally just right, right next to the house. And we were doing everything we could do to, to protect structures, cutting down trees right away. Um, that, that the story I told you about um, where the, um, the uh, propane tank exploded, that was actually, you know, the fire was extremely hot. It, it moved close to that propane tank. I was foaming it up, um, but then the wind was kicking, so it kept on moving south. Um, but there was a point where there was fire all, all around us, um, and there was just a lot of smoke, always trying to be aware of the lookouts and escape routes. And, um, you know, everything worked out, but, you know, it's one of those situations where, um, you know, I knock on wood that, you know, if, if, uh, if a tree had fallen over, our, our egress route to try to get out, you know, that, that could have been really challenging for us to get out. You know, we have, um, you know, chainsaws and everything, but, um, you know, the amount of smoke and, and the amount of fire activity all around you is, uh, you know, it's unsettling to say the least. 
Um, and then, you know, with that fire too, um, since we were out in this little pod area, we slept out in a, in a burned out area that, that had a fire going through a couple of days before. So mm-hmm. that was our, our area, um, that it was our safe zone that we had. So we were literally just on the ground, um, you know, um, camping out on a, um, you know, in a burned out field and, uh, couldn't set up any tents and stuff cause the wind was so crazy and the unpredictability too, of the fires. Like we would have to just get up and get ready and start fighting the fire. So it was, it was nonstop really. It seems like there are a lot of acronyms in your world. So in kind, I'd like to say to you, T-Y-F-Y-S, thank you for your service and uh, thank you for being on the pod. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. There you have it. Thanks again to Dan Gibbs. Please don't forget to rate and subscribe. It really helps us get the word out about the pod. I'll catch you next time. Oh, 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 oh,